Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and Bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I hope you all had a great weekend and are ready for another great week of shows. Coming up today, I'll tell you about a fight I've always wanted to see. I'll also dive into the welterweight division 
and tell you why Jake Paul's next fight with Tyron Woodley is much different than his previous ones. All of that is coming up later, but first, let's begin today's show, as we often do, with John Jones. Israel Adesanya was weighing in on John Jones, right? Anywhere Izzy goes, probably to the point of annoyance, but he gets asked the question about John and will that fight ever happen? And don't forget, guys, there was a lot of talk around that fight. I mean, I still maintain to this day the whole reason that Izzy went up and took on Blahovich wasn't about the champ-champ status and had nothing to do with Blahovich. It was to get the belt, welcome John Jones back, and do this super fight, right? I'm sure you guys agree with me. Even if that's never been admitted to, that would make sense. It makes sense that that was the plan. And when Izzy moved up to 205 pounds, even when he had the fight with Blahovich, he never talked about him. All he did was talk about John. So I think we, I think we know where this was going to go because Izzy gets beat. He's going to return to 85. John's still removed from the sport in its entirety. He's not licensed anywhere, and he hasn't stated what he's going to do, or at least when he's going to do it. So Izzy weighed in on John, and Izzy said, yes, I absolutely think that fight is going to happen. I don't know how. I don't know how we're going to do it. I'm an 85-pounder. He's a heavyweight. Something's going to have to happen, but I do think we're going to fight. Izzy then said, let's see if John can go up and handle this new division. I think he can, but I don't know if he believes it. Okay. Stay there. Because that's really well said. That is really well said by Izzy, at least for me. That's exactly how I feel about John. When I see John, I see a rare talent. As a guy, I'll insert myself, that fought at middleweight, at light heavyweight, and then at heavyweight. I will be the first to tell you the bigger you get, the worse the fighters are. The perception of the heavyweight champion being the best fighter in the world is a very false perception. The bigger you go, they look good. You sell a bunch of tickets, but the skills go down. They just go down the higher you go. Less versatile, less dynamic. I'm sure a lot of those things just make sense. Heavyweight wrestling is similar. Heavyweight jujitsu is similar. It's a sport in and of itself. You have to learn how to deal with heavyweights. It's not the same as dealing with these other bodies that are quicker, that are going to use athleticism. I bring that to you because... That's all I have to believe John could do great up there. All I have is my own experiences with John, my own experiences with the top heavyweights. Who felt better? Who was harder to deal with? How much did size matter? I tip all of that towards John. And then I have a little bit better empirical evidence. Heavyweights who trained with John. Brendan Schaub comes to mind. Travis Brown comes to mind. Andre Orlovsky comes to mind. But these were all heavyweights in the same room. Names that you guys would all know. Names that I respect all said how great John was. I mean, they just said that, look, he's a lot to deal with. He's long. He knows how to use this reach. We have no ability to wrestle with him just because he can keep distance and do things at a speed. So now you're left to strike with a guy who's got six-inch reach on you and is dynamic. I mean, it was these kind of compliments I'm coupling together. But those are three meaningful heavyweights. And what was Schaub at one point? Schaub was ranked number six at one point. Travis Brown was ranked number three. And Orlovsky's a former champion. I mean, those are three names that matter, right? I want to say Overeem might have jumped in with John a few times, too. Big compliments from respectable guys. And don't forget, at the time that they worked out with John and that these compliments were being spread around, John was a 205-pounder. Now, he weighs about 225. Little out of shape, even 228. Usually no more than that. 
But if you think about that 225 and 228 prior to pulling down to 205 pounds, he looked pretty good. I mean, he looked pretty lean. He didn't look like a guy out of shape. You could tell, yeah, okay, he's maybe not in his training camps, but he looked pretty good. And if I was to compare him against other light heavyweights, maybe I would come to the conclusion he needs to get a little, little bit more fit. But if I was to compare him, I'm just talking about a picture. Picture worth a thousand words, right? If I looked at a picture of John at 225, 228 pounds, and I looked at a meaningful top five heavyweight, I'm going to deduce that John's in better shape. I bring you these as pieces of evidence to support Izzy's claim. Izzy's claim is, I, Izzy, think John will do great at heavyweight. I don't know if John thinks that. And I'm seeing the same thing. And that's okay. Like if you think I'm being my typical jerk of a self towards John Jones, I'm not. There's a compliment there. It's a big compliment saying, I think he could have done it. I think that John versus Stipe is a very compelling match. That's one that could have happened. Not now. Not for the title now. But that could have happened and John passed. John versus Francis, very different match based on what we now know about Francis, right? Francis showed us a lot in that second meeting with Stipe. He did show us an ability to scramble, an ability to understand range, an ability to still have the speed and the power of a smaller guy. You now insert Surreal, who at least on paper is the better striker, and also if you're turned to paper, has never been taken down. You put, you put the fact that he's never been taken down talking about Surreal. You juxtapose that with the fact that John Jones has never fought a man and John hasn't gotten at least one takedown. All of a sudden, you have something interesting to discuss. It just seems as though we're now changing the conversation, which means you're changing the goals, which means whatever it was that gave John an apprehensiveness, whatever reservations he had about very specific guys when Derek Lewis was a top contender, Right? I mean, we, we now have new guys who have proven that they're much better than the guys who were in charge at the time John made the move. Curtis Blade's still a top guy. He's got his hands full. He's got Rosenstrike, some great matches out there. It's just if you're John and you're thinking, okay, what am I going to do next and who am I going to do it against, that's where you begin to outthink yourself. We do not know. We do not know. Will, it, will the opportunity come against Stipe? Will the opportunity come against Francis? You've now got this new guy named Surreal. All things that were never taken into consideration and never planned for initially when the experiment of taking X amount of time off, surrounding yourself with juice freaks, trying to stay clean, and put on 20 pounds of clean muscle. That was all done with a specific athlete in mind, but those athletes are largely gone and has largely changed the dynamics. So what do you do? You come back to the same spot that that Izzy laid out for us, which is, I think he would do really well. I have reason to believe that. But I'm also basing my reason on a guy who I last saw win a decision that he shouldn't have won two years ago. And things change so darn quickly for athletes. I mean, they say that so doggone quickly. You can see what happened with Conor McGregor. You can see how much Connor has gone down from what he was, right? And what do we know about life? Anything that goes up must come down. So Connor's on top of the world, champ, champ, going into a whole nother sport of boxing, maybe going to stay there and take on Pacquiao. He had so many things. Go, look, where can you go? You can only go one way, which is down. But Connor stayed pretty active. Connor was in the gym. Connor never got fat or out of shape. He stayed. He kept himself busy. John is doing absolutely nothing. He's running on big treadmills with juice freaks. 
And it just, it just leads you to believe, okay, there's some laws of life. There's some laws that nobody can get around, such as we don't get better with time. We don't get better at something by not doing it. That doesn't mean that any of those rules have caught John. They will catch him eventually, but there's a lot of rules out there that don't apply to him. He's special. John is special. It's like he had a special wand waved over him. But he's still a human being, and at some point, everything I'm saying will be true, for sure. But how long do you have? And that's where it starts to get very questionable. That's where some of the statements of when John comes back, he can fight for the championship, start over time to get called into question. Why? I understood why it was true when it was first said. Because he was a light heavyweight who only lost one match in his career. I understand that. Why is it still being said now? And if we go another year, which is what it looks like, at least for title opportunities for John, should it be said then? And it's just one of those things that you do have to reconsider. Just because something was true at one point in time does not mean it's going to be true forever. If I tell you I'll give you $5,000 for your truck, you can't really call me three years from now and say, may I have that $5,000 you offered me, right? And the truck is now going to be worth a lot less, not to mention there's going to be new cars on the market, and I've got the right as a buyer to take my five grand and go put it down on something else that looks a little bit shinier and newer. In all fairness, when I made the statement to you, I meant it at the time. The statement has now expired. The statement has got to have an expiration for John, too, because you are greatly stopping any kind of motivation with the boys in the back. If you make the statement that John gets to come up for a title shot, that just shows that you respect him and you respect what he does. That's good, solid reasoning right there. For that day, over a period of time, if John gets to be the number one contender with an ace up his sleeve he can throw on the table at any point, if I'm a, if I'm a fellow heavyweight, what am I doing this for? I'm doing this to get my own opportunity, but my opportunity gets superseded by his opportunity because we made the statement first. I mean, you see where things start to get weird? It starts to get very, very weird. And it all kind of goes back to John's circle. Right? You want me to show you your future? Show me your friends now. You show me who your friends are, I will show you what your future is. And that circle just keeps getting weirder. Right now he's got these new weightlifting buddies, which is just a weird thing to start with. Of all exercises, I believe lifting weights are my favorite. So maybe I fall into this very category that I'm teasing. But if you have a group of people who dedicate themselves to picking up heavy things and setting it back down, it's weird. It's one of those things. Strange things are going to happen. That appears to be the new circle. All of which are hopped up on the hoopies, which don't make for the world's best cameo shots when you're a multiple-time pet offender. Oh, and by the way, you're trying to put on 20 pounds of muscle. Like, at some point, right, even a, a broken clock is right twice a day. At some point, the visual has to mean something. And at some point, an offer has to expire. The offer that John can slide up to heavyweight and get a number one contendership match, that can't just be floating in the air. He clearly didn't want to fight Francis. So if Francis remains champion, just stop talking to John. But if Francis loses the belt, should John get that same opportunity? Now that it's easier, now that it's lesser, now that he didn't have to do the heavy lifting and the packing. I'm asking the question. That actually isn't for me to answer. Maybe it's still yes. I do ultimately agree with Adesanya, though. I think John can do it, too. I think those guys can beat John. I think Surreal, I think Francis, I think Steepy, I think they can all beat John. But I think John can beat them, too. One of those nights. Going to be close. And John is a great competitor. I think he's selling himself short on this whole size business. 
And if I'm wrong, and he's not selling himself short, he truly does believe, then we have to accept the only other conclusion, which is this is his way out, and John has retired. You know, apparently I'm having a John Jones day over here, and I don't really know where this is coming from. It just seems like all the roads that I keep going down on topical issues today drive me back to Jones. Okay, surreal gone. Clearly should be viewed as a better fighter than John Jones in the heavyweight division. More impressive record being completely undefeated. Never once been taken down. Has yet to lose a round. Oh, and by the way, he's the champ. Okay. None of those things can John say. So for sure, Surreal, for the heavyweight division, should be held in a higher regard than John. Yes? Do, do, are we there? Do we agree with each other? Okay. So... We would also know in reality that he's not worth as much as John. That even though John did none of those things that I just stated, John has done some other very good things, and he's done it for a more extended period of time, and more people would recognize John than they would Surreal. Could we agree to that? Okay, great. Well, we can't, we can't have it both ways. Because Surreal just came out, for reasons unknown, and told the world what he made to fight Derek Lewis. And Surreal really broke it down. Now, his business is none of mine, but he made it public, and I appreciated it. It was really good insight. He said he was given uh, $350,000 to show up for the fight. Flat. No win bonus. Three fifty dollars flat. He then, of course, was given the fight of the night bonus. He then had what he stated as Reebok money. Now, I'm quoting for you because I'm well aware that Reebok is out, but this is the way that the story came out at BJPenn.com. Once he paid his managers, once he paid his tax, and I believe he gets hit twice, I think he also has to pay it in France. I remember St. Pierre used to have to do that when it went to Canada. He would get hit twice. But when all was said and done, Surreal left as champion of the world and $190,000 richer. Great. The mere fact that Surreal paid his tax, knew to pay his tax, and when he laid out the mathematics of his economic situation, put the right tax amount in there, makes me believe him. Fine. If Surreal has a better record than John, is a champion and John is not, has never been taken down, and has never lost a round, if we use those as evidence to say that Surreal should make more than John, John is now going to take a pay cut to the tune of 75%. But this is the very argument that John has been making from the beginning. He attempts to list his resume. He's even gone as far as to list the resumes and economic structures of his brother's sports careers. I'm well aware nothing has to do with anything, but now let's just use that argument. And let's prove that John is paid 75% too much. You can't say that John should make more than the champ makes. Surreal's the champ. You probably shouldn't say that John should make more than a guy in a division that John's never even been in. And by the, by the way, the guy's never lost a fight or a round or be, even been put in a precarious position of being taken down, right? It's one of those things. Same time, I realize how silly that is. John is better known. John should make more. Or at least should be given the opportunity to go in and negotiate and see if the, see if the guy writing the check thinks he should make more. It's not always about who could sell more. Who can sell in that moment and convince the guy on the other side of the table that he can draw more? That's who's going to get the bigger check. That sounds like the way business should be done. I agree with it fully. John doesn't. 
John thinks you should be able to be compared to your brother or to your accolades or juxtapose that to that of Surreal Gone, who's the champion in a division you never even competed in. It gets very weird very quickly. Comes back to the old adage, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. And there's also a problem if you're ever negotiating. Don't say too much. The best would be to say nothing at all, to sit there and listen. But don't say too much. Oh, here guys make that mistake when they're negotiating all of the time. They will come to the table and want to tell you about good deeds that they've done. I haven't been late to work in six months. I stayed late. I came in on Saturdays. They'll start listing the things that you've done. The only thing that you need to convince the person that you're talking to is what it is you can do for them. How signing you and giving you a contract and bringing you into the organization is going to help them. If you do not have a specific answer on, if you don't understand that concept for one, you're not leaving with anything more. If you understand that concept, but you don't have an answer for it, you're not going to leave with anything more. So talking about what I did or talking about what my brothers did or talking about what I'm not willing to do or showing people that you can lift some weights up and put it down, it's just weird. What can I do in this negotiation that's going to be good for you since you're the one writing the check? Have an answer for that. Be right. Reveal it. Convince them of it. And if you fail, take what you got. So that mostly wraps the John Jones portion of today's show. Coming up in a moment, I'll tell you about the fight that I've always wanted to see and that I think we're all about to get. Plus, Conor McGregor may have fooled me. That's all next, but first, here's a word about today's sponsor, Athletic Greens. Today's episode of Your Welcome is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive, tasty, daily nutritional beverage I have ever had. Summer has officially started, which means time off, relaxation, and vacation mode for some of us. This does not mean to get relaxed with your nutrition. Athletic Greens is helping me stay on point with healthy nutritional habits. One scoop of this daily all-in-one superfood powder contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. They all work together to fill the nutritional gaps in our diet, increase energy and focus, help with digestion, and support a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products. What a relief. Athletic Greens is my one-stop shop for it all. Guys, it's simple. It's easy. For you athletes out there, this product is NSF certified for sport. It's lifestyle friendly. Whether you are keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and it contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste, Athletic Greens is offering my audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. If you visit my link today, these travel packs will come in handy for your summer travels. So whether you or your family member are looking for peak performance or better health, covering your bases with Athletic Greens makes investing in your energy, immunity, and gut health simple each day. It's also tasty and efficient. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash chael. 
and join the athletes and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to optimal health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com and get your free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. Yes, the fight I have been waiting for, the fight I have secretly been waiting for is about to go down. Michael Bisping versus Conor McGregor. And I don't give a damn if it's done over the internet. I don't give a damn if it's done in, in the spirit of hurting each other's feelings or embarrassing or angering them. This fight has needed to happen. This fight has been brewing for years. And there's just like this public show of respect by both of these two that neither one of them means. It is cloaked in insincerity. You say whatever you want about Michael Bisping, you can't call him insincere except for one thing. He likes to tip the hat to Connor because they had some previous relationship through management. Connor doesn't care about that, and Connor has now revealed that, which is why I'm telling you it's going to go down. Connor has fired a shot. Michael Bisping will answer for that shot. I promise you. I promise you. And Connor's great at it. So just a quick backstory between Michael and Connor. Michael Bisping was a big deal when Connor got involved into the business. So Michael brought Connor in to his, meaning Bisping's, management team, which is Audiotar and company. So Bisping brings this guy in. This guy becomes a bigger star than all of them. All of a sudden, this guy is getting his phone calls returned. Michael's getting sent to voicemail. Something along these lines, right? Like, nobody told me this story, but I, I'm, I'm close. I'm close and possibly spot on. So everything that happens when that happens, right? You remember Tony Ferguson had his falling out of me. There was just stuff. When Connor became the, the star pupil and the prize child, there was just things that happened. So... Connor decides to take some shots at the big bear, Daniel Cormier. So Bisping quickly comes to Cormier's defense, right, which he needs to do. That's his, his teammate. But he also tells Connor, by the way, what are you thinking? Cormier will tear you apart. He could do it with his eyes closed. He could do it with a hand behind his back, and he would literally rip your limbs off. Well, that never goes well with Connor. Right, I mean, Connor does not like to be challenged in those things. No matter how accurate Bisping said is, that's not the point. You've now insulted McGregor. So McGregor came back. And McGregor ran a shtick on Tony Ferguson years ago, back when Tony was coming up through and Connor was still the guy and it looked like they were on a collision course. Tony had left the same management company for the same reasons that Connor's getting the attention. I'm also here. I'm getting the scraps. So Connor came out and said, we don't just have the same management company. I own. I am a partner in the management company. Every time you fight, I get a piece. Every management fee that you pay, I get a deposit into my bank account. Now, I don't know how true that is, but it was pretty good by Connor. I mean, it was a pretty damn good line. And I stored it away. This was like two or three years ago, four years ago. Connor brought it back out. Recycled the information, but put Bisping in Tony's shoes. So Connor came out saying, I get a cut of everything he does. When those deposits were made in my account, 50 grand, 100 grand, I would yell, yoink. Now, yoink, in case anybody's wondering, and yet you did hear me correctly, is a vernacular created by the writer of The Simpsons. Anytime Bart or Homer or any other character within The Simpsons would take something from somebody else, they would yell the word, yoink. 
So if you get that, if you get the joke on top of the condescending nature, on top of the you don't like me, but I've been taking a piece of your career, right? I mean, it's this is excellent work by McGregor. This is absolutely excellent work. Bisping, who does a show, believe you me, has not recorded since this came out. I can assure you when he does, he's going to respond. And this will be the back and forth where both of these guys will finally say how they're really feeling. And I, for one, have been looking forward to this. Well, he got me. Conor McGregor. He got me or he's trying to get me. Let's work this out. I hear from Conor's people, okay? Now, I don't love hearing from Connor's people as much as I like to hear from Connor. And it has made a little bit of a weird, right, in our relationship when I don't hear back from him or when I ask him a question, I get a response from another phone. Like, what, are you sitting there with his phone and you grabbed it and did it or he forwarded my message to you and said, get a hold of shit? I mean, I, I don't know. It rubbed me the wrong way. I had the same experience with Ronda Rousey. Used to talk all the time. One day I get a message from her, contact my assistant. Now, that probably should have terminated where she and I stood. It didn't, though. I went to the assistant. The assistant was so ungodly rude, that's what ruined it. You can hire stupid people to speak for you, but you're then going to be responsible for the stupid stuff that they say. I'm out. To Rhonda and her assistant, right? I'm out. Hear from Connor's people. I have made videos. I would go into the category of a Connor defender. Right? I think I understand him. I think that's an entertainer. I think that is a brilliant entertainer. I think that is a hardworking, fast thinking, stay in character at all times, including when I should be in shock because I'm a human being and my toes are pointed that way, my, my heels way over here. Cuts a promo anyway. I feel like I'm in the presence of brilliance that's happening. Andy Kaufman level brilliance, but also discipline. Connor had a code. Connor started to get away from his code. If you want to be an anti-hero, that's fine. You must have a code. You must relay the code to the audience, and you must defend fiercely your code at all times. And when you get away from that, you're now not an anti-hero. You're just a scumbag. Connor started to do that. I still defended him. I came to you guys and I said, is it possible Connor's a jerk? Sure it is. Is it also possible that he's an entertainer? And that he's out there entertaining and even in his most vulnerable moment. Are you telling me there wasn't something uh, godsmack about the idea that Conor McGregor is broken? He can't even stand up for an interview, but he's challenging Dustin Poirier to a fight. Conor's got no friends with him. He's all alone, half naked. And he challenges Poirier and his entire team while he can't even stand up. You're telling me there wasn't something about that? Yes, there was. Yes, there was something about that. Doesn't mean he was a jerk. Doesn't mean he's an entertainer. You decide. It was open for interpretation, like all forms of communication and art. I interpret it as an entertainer. So, got a little off course. I had a hard time. I read your guys' comments. I wouldn't think they influenced me. I'm not here to be influenced. I'm the influencer, in all fairness. In all fairness. But I do still read them. And there is a truth there that, look, Chael's always out to defend Connor for every single thing that he does. And Chael defended Connor when the Khabib situation, and he jumped the cage, and... Time out. Time out. Most recent. Week ago. I was irritated 
that Connor was deleting tweets. When you start tweeting late at night, high and or drunk, and then you delete them, you have now fallen into John Jones territory. There is nothing about John's career from a strategic standpoint that you want to mimic. Nothing. Go ahead and learn how he kicks the, the obliques. Learn that spinning elbow. Go right ahead. Not about career moves. You don't want to be in John Jones territory, right? Connor's fallen into that territory, and I, as a defender, cannot come out and defend a guy who doesn't want defended. Once he admits guilt, we're all done here. Soon as you say the words, it was my fault, we're all done here. And Connor going out and deleting it, which means I retract it, which means I never should have put it out in the first place, which means I don't want this seen by anybody, is an admission of guilt. Absolutely it is. And it puts a guy like me in a tough spot. So then I hear from Connor's people. Connor's people is how I'm going to I hear from a guy. Connor's inner circle, though. I said, Shale, I'm a little surprised you fell for it. I said, oh, is that right? And what is it I fell for? Now, I will admit I'm a mark, but I'm a mark by choice. There's nothing There's nothing happens, right? I've been to the show. I've seen the strings, right? I, I, I wrote the book. I said, yeah, you fell for it. He said, the only reason Connor deleted those tweets after sending them out late at night is to create talk and controversy. What do you think, Connor doesn't know how the internet works? You think Connor doesn't know that once it sees cyberspace, it never goes away? You don't think he's fully aware that that's going to make headlines? Part of the marketing move was then to delete it, to have something even more to discuss, and you fell for it. This is what they said to me. That's what they said to me. So where's the work, Right? The shoot is the new work. So which one's the work? The way that it happened, where he said something he didn't want to be it seen? He cowardly deletes it in the middle of the night, hoping that it all goes well. Like, right, he got in a shower and just washed all the dirt off. And, and whatever he scandalous he'd been up to the hour before is just ma magically down the drain and gone? Is that the work? Or is rewording what happened after the fact to make it look... Like old Chael fell for something. I don't know. I don't know. I won't know. All right, there would, there would be no way to actually know. Many people will come out after the fact when they've done something wrong and act like that was just part of the brilliance. That actually is part of the brilliance. That's very good stuff. Do you guys ever see the Al Sharpton tape? Do you guys know about this? One of the great moves in the history of visual recordings ever. One of the great television moves ever done. Al Sharpton was busted buying crack. Caught on tape, buying crack. So they have him on CNN. Now he's live. He's live when they have him on. So they play on a split screen, Al Sharpton, buying crack, getting the crack, changing the money, trying to get away, looking over his shoulder, and then they go to Al. So they play that, and Al says, play the second tape. CNN's live. And they said, what are you talking about? And Al Sharpton said, point here isn't why you're seeing me buy crack there. The point is why you're not playing the second tape that vindicates me for that. Why would you bring me out here and only play one tape? Play the second tape. They're live. The reporter is completely, doesn't know what to do, throws to a commercial break. Now the segment with Al is over. CNN never touched the topic again. A day or so, hour or so later, they realize they've been duped. They realize that they're fools. They realize there is no second tape. But you don't get to do that in live TV. Al challenged him on the spot. Play the second tape. Play it now or don't ever play this again. Play the second tape. He didn't have one. 
They didn't have one. So reworking it after the fact is part of the brilliance. I do not believe I fell for anything. I believe Connor said something, realized it was stupid, tried to take it down, or passed out and went to sleep and somebody else took his mobile device or logged in from a different location when they got up because they're not up the same weird hours that Connor is, and then they quickly delete it. That's what I think happened. Connor's side would like me to believe that I've fallen for it. I am in the conversation here with one of the great entertainers. It is possible. I don't know if it's likely. It is possible. It won't work now. This is my own way of getting revenge in case you guys haven't picked up on this, right? I'm getting teased, told that I fell for something, told that I'm a mark. Maybe. That is definitely on the table. It won't happen again. Letting the world know. According to them, that's part of the act. According to them, they didn't want to delete it in the first place. Only delete it to get even more attention. Time will tell. Let's see who's right. Once upon a time, as all of you may remember, Conor McGregor fought at 170 pounds. And there's a lot going on there involving the division's top names. So let's dive into it. All right, guys, get a load of this. Vincente Luque just did an interview, and he said... I assure you I could finish that thought. Nate Diaz just ended an interview, and he said, I assure you, I could finish that thought. Hazmat Chemaev was just doing an interview, and he said, I could finish that thought. Gilbert Burns did two interviews over the weekend, and he said, I could finish that thought. Leon Edwards did nothing. I have nothing I could look up. I have no quote from Leon. I have no statement from Leon. Nothing on social media, no media that reached out to him, no media that he reached out to. I have nothing. And this has been the story of Leon's career, largely. Before you think I'm putting down Leon, I'm not. I'm a believer. I'm a supporter. Five years unbeaten. Last guy he lost to is the sitting champion of the world. Leon, if anybody had a tough pandemic, all the stuff that went on, right? I mean, they got an island set up that guys are getting to go to, but Leon didn't get to go. Major opportunity with Hazmet Shemaev, which we were told the winner would then fight for the belt. Guaranteed number one contendership fight doesn't happen. So enough things have happened to Leon, but I still have to sit back in his absolute silence and wonder why. And there's two reasons. There's only two. Let's discuss them. One, he doesn't know he's in a fight. Leon Edwards does not know, and all the time that he spent in the sport, and all the time that he was away from it and had to think about it, how much he missed it, how much he got back in, got in there, did five big rounds, all the eyeballs on him, all the great media, all the great opportunities. He does not realize that he is now in a fight. He's fighting with Luque. He's fighting with Shemaev. He's fighting with El Nino, Gilbert Burns. He's fighting with Masvidal. They are all battling. They're battling for headlines. They're battling for approval. They're battling ultimately for a mandate of the masses who will then speak up on their behalf and go to decision makers within the Ultimate Fighting Championship. But he's in a fight nonetheless. And while everybody's out on the field, he's in the dugout. I don't know why. It's baffling to me. It's confusing. The other option is when a guy is this detached with what it takes to make it within this sport, 
he's already got an ace up his sleeve. There is a chance that Leon has already been contacted. There's a chance that Leon is the backup fighter for Kamara and Colby. There's a chance that he's already been told he's going to take on the winner of Kamara and Colby. That would explain one reason why he has taken his oars out of the water and been radio silent. I just don't think he's in that spot. I just don't. I don't know what would be different now. What has Leon done different now than he did any other course in the last five years? He just beat somebody? He beat everybody in the last five years. There has been no push, let's get Leon in there. There's a push, get Leon the hell out of the way, and being Hazmat Chemayev in there, I realize that the brakes got put on that bus. But if Leon is radio silent because he's already the cat that ate the canary, right? He's just waiting to throw that card out there. If that's the case, man, that's a risky spot. Because if Colby gets the jump on Usman to make believe that Usman doesn't automatically become the number one contender for the championship that he currently holds today is silly. Yes, they should go into a trilogy. Yes, there should be a part three. And yes, that decision will be made after the contest. Very strange things happen. I believe that's why the organization, the sport as a whole, is so reluctant to start saying who's in line and who's where. Things change very quickly. If you go back and look at 135 pounds, it was supposed to be Sandhagen versus Jan. Sandhagen shoots himself in the foot. All right, Aljo fights Jan, but that ends in a disqualification going to Aljo. They got to run it back, at least the way they saw it. So anybody who would have been in prime position or was fighting to be in prime position or had a fight set up to be number one contender to move into pole position, everything gets put on hold. So I don't know that I'm bullish on the idea that Leon is secretly got an ace up his sleeve. I must admit it's possible. And when I look at how absolutely silent he's being as everybody else is speaking up, I'm not sure why it's happening. And things change immediately if Colby wins. Usman doesn't want to just fight the same guys he's already fought and beat. Leon would fall into that category, but Usman understands he has to do that. Right? He's gone through everybody. He's got to go through them again. That's what Masvidal Part 2 represented. That's what Colby Part 2 is going to represent. If he gets in there with Leon, that's what that would represent. But if you're Usman and you'd like to get some fresh blood in there, you'd like to get a new challenge, all of a sudden guys like Luke start to look very attractive to you. And I bring this to you because how likely is it that Gilbert Burns is going to return in the short term to a fight with Usman? You can answer the question. How likely is it that Masvidal is going to return in the short term to a rematch with Usman? You can answer the question. How likely is Colby, if things don't work out here, to ever return to a rematch with Usman? Right, you see the problem. But if Colby wins, you have fresh blood at the top. That means all the contenders have fresh blood too. It washes an entire division. As soon as the guy at the top gets replaced, it's an all-new playing field for contenders. So when you're a guy like Gilbert Burns, Gilbert Burns is speaking up every day. Just to remind you guys, this is why you all fell in love with him in the first place. He fought four times during the pandemic. By the way, didn't lose a round. By the way, main event fights, heavy lifting, short notice, no notice, whatever it took. And he was begging to fight a fifth and a sixth and a seventh time. This is why you guys love him. It's not an act when he says it. He wants in there. He is hungry to compete, starving. Masvidal is saying a lot of the right things. That if they're sincere and we're to take it at face value, 
stuff we always loved about Masvidal, which just has to do with I'll fight anybody any way you want to do it, but they have to be somebody to get me back on a path to return to the championship. No matter who's the champion, I need a match that gets me closer. Somebody admit that. Somebody tell me that this gets me closer. Even if Usman hangs onto the belt, I'll walk out there and do it. I love that. I got no problem with it. I think Masvidal has something to ask for. I do. To close out today's show, I want to talk about the guy who used to run the welterweight division, Tyron Woodley. We're 11 days away from his showdown with Jake Paul. And I've still got some questions about it. Paul and Woodley. Wow, something's missing here, right? And I'm not being a hater. I'm a supporter of that match. You guys know that. But something is off here, only in that this thing was red hot. They were doing press conferences. They were doing clips. It was back and forth. It had stolen the headlines. It's all died off of the fights two weeks away. I had to look it up. I didn't know when the fight was. If you're ever promoting a fight and a viewer who watches it and is a supporter does not know who, what, when, why, and where, you failed. Right? I mean, it's simple as that. I did not know the date of the fight. I actually had a discussion with my father-in-law yesterday on my way out to Submission Underground, and he told me the fight was this month. I thought it was in September. Now, it doesn't matter. We got to the bottom of it. I'm only illustrating that somewhere within the recipe of announcing a Paul fight, you, you've got to get the formula right. And Floyd Mayweather is extremely consistent five weeks. You won't even know Floyd is training. You won't even know Floyd's going to fight again. Floyd will be in perfect shape, have a signed contract, and announce it to the world five Saturdays before he makes the walk. That is the shortest of anybody that I could give you an example of. Most guys are two months. Many guys, it used to be three months. So it's just one of those situations where if there's anything to learn from this, I think I might have identified it. They came out a little too hot, a little bit too early. Maybe they will want to go in the future to more of that five-week structure that Floyd does. But things are heating back up, right? And Logan's going to be great. Logan has a plan. Jake, rather, has a plan. Whether we've seen it or not, I assure you that he has. When he came out with a little piece of theater yesterday, and it was a whiteboard. Now, I love the whiteboard. The whiteboard works. Jake worked very hard to make it appear as though he didn't work at all in coming up with what he called a hit list. And he had guys' names misspelled, right? All the condescending, all the low-hanging fruit that you would imagine. Guys' names misspelled, and some guys' names were crossed out, and I, one name was just wrong. Okay, how true do you think this is? Right? I think if we were to talk, or if I was to share my own opinion five months ago, I wouldn't have thought it was true at all. But the buck stops when Logan got in there with Floyd. And the buck stops not when Jake beat Ben or when he beat Nate. It stops when he signed to fight Tyron. That's where you can no longer think that this is a gag. Now, you can have a conversation on who is going to win. You can break that down. But you lose the right to argue that it's just talk. Or that these guys don't mean it or they're not sincere or that they're trolling somebody. When you've had three fights and you signed to fight a former world champion, the gig is up. You're a tough guy. At least you believe that you are. And I got to say the same thing for older brother when he got up and beat Floyd. Under the rules that he and Floyd agreed to fight under, which is what an exhibition is, you got to sprinkle your own rules on there, Logan beat Floyd.
I do feel as though when I was reading the hit list, it would be guys I don't want to be hit by list if he was in there with actual boxers. Now, I think that T. Wood can get down, and I don't think that Jake should be put anywhere above an amateur. He has an amateur record, amateur amount of rounds, amateur skills. But you could say the same about Tyron. Tyron was the champion of the world. I'll remind you, he won the belt that night with his hands. He knocked Robbie Lawler out to take the belt away. So we know that Tyron's got hands, and we also know that he's naturally athletic. In the world of boxing, and based on his record and his skills, he would also go into the amateurs. You would get at a smoker, you get at a local YMCA, a POW club, work your way up to the Golden Gloves. Great. What would happen with Jake if he got in there with actual boxers? And it's very hard to dismiss anymore. It's very hard to dismiss after his brother beats Floyd. After his brother goes the distance with Floyd. However you want to word it. It's hard to dismiss. And it makes you begin to question things that you believed to be true. Nate Robinson and Ben Askren both lacked one thing. And it was only one thing, but it was head movement. It didn't move their head very much. So when... Jake wanted to reach out and touch him. They were there. It turns out Jake's got a real natural power. Jake's also very good with distance. He's great with his flinches and setups, which is how he gets the ball and the goal to start with. Tyron moves differently. Tyron moves a lot. Tyron also knows full well that he's getting into a real fight. I don't know that Ben Askren had that advantage. I, you know, If you'll remember, Jake was a very different perception back then. He was 24 years old. He just beat a basketball guy, which we, we took nothing from. He had some other fight somewhere. It might have been a draw. I get he and his records, brother's record confused. Jake had either had two fights going to that, and he won them both, or, or he had a draw in there, or he had a lot. I don't even know. It's one of those things, right? Amateur. But Tyron does have that head movement, and Tyron is also fully aware that he is getting into a real fight. Tyron is not of the mind of, all oh, this is just a YouTube guy, or this is a guy with limited experience. Tyron is... is Fully trained, he will be fully prepared, his walk will be different, his presence in the ring will be different, his strategy will exist. I don't know that Nate or Ben had a strategy, right? I don't know enough about the Ben fight, there's not a lot to see there. The Nate fight, there wasn't any offense to see from Robinson. So it's just, it's a tough one to judge. But Tyron is of the mind that he knows what he's getting into. Look, if you ever find yourself in a fight that's harder than you thought it was going to be, Things unravel very quickly. Any form of combat. That could be a wrestling match, a judo, a submission, boxing, MMA, any way you want to do it. But when you're in combat and you find yourself in battle with somebody who is giving you more of a fight than you thought they were going to, they held up better than you expected, things can fall apart quickly. You guys will remember Connor versus Nate Diaz, part one. That wasn't just a size issue. That was a surprise to Connor when he landed that left hand that had put everybody down before that. And he landed it once, twice, three, four times on Nate, and Nate's still standing there. Oh, geez. Connor just didn't know. I didn't know anybody could take that shot. I didn't know this guy had that kind of chin. I didn't know this extra weight was going to send different vibrations through his body. It's just one of those things, match that I know you'll be able to relate to because you all saw it, where things can change very quickly. I think Tyrone Woodley... Aside from his beautiful resume, aside from his speed, his natural power, his skills, his true love of boxing, even if he went into MMA, he loves boxing. I think aside from all of that, one of the things that's going to serve him best is he respects Jake Paul. 
He does not think that this is a joke. He thinks this is a long, hard night. And coming in with that approach can be very helpful. And the adverse could be true for Jake. One thing that happens when you get on a roll, when you start getting guys out of there quickly, is you start to expect to get them out of there quickly, which comes to the point that I'm trying to bring up. If Tyron knows this is going to be a long, hard fight and Jake thinks it's going to be over in 40 seconds, that favors Tyron, not Jake. I can't assure for you that that's Jake's mindset. I can just tell you, historically speaking, use Ronda Rousey as an example for MMA. When Ronda was finishing all those cans in the first round with the armbar, that was great for marketing, but that wasn't great for Ronda because now she starts to expect it. She begins to train as though it's going to happen. She warms up as though it's going to happen. She walks in there and expects it as Brute Buffer is saying her name for it to happen. That's not wrong. That's what happens when you get on a roll. And so then when you find yourself in there with Holly Holm, who's doing better than you thought she was going to do, things unravel. I would just encourage you, as this fight is getting closer, and I, I would encourage you guys to enjoy this. I think Paul brings something to the table. I think T. Wood and everything he's represented and his relationship with Askren, I think he must win. We love those high-pressure situations as fans, right? And they both got it. I would encourage you just to keep an eye on Tyron's approach. It's different. It's calculated. It's measured. He knows full well what he's getting into. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, and I hope you did, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review like Chael's dog who says, Uncle Chael is the best. Well, thank you, dog. And thanks to all of you. I will be back on Friday for more. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.